Bookland Radio brings you City Update with Ian Pritchard and Lee Humphreys. Hello, listener, and welcome to City Update. And Lee Humphreys joins us on the phone from his home in Cobham. Hello, Lee. Hi, Ian. Now, uh, before we went on air, you told me what you'd wanted to talk about, and you wanted to talk about how professional investors make decisions about what shares to buy and when they buy them, and how these decisions are changing as a result of technology. Yeah, that's uh, that's right, Ian. The, uh, the reason why I thought this might be of some interest to our listener was as a result of some economic data that came out of the U.S. approximately this time last week. As the Marks and Spencers ad might have told us, this was not just any data. This is perhaps the most closely watched bit of data that stock markets, not just in America, but around the globe, look at. Always on the first Friday of the month, something called the Non-Farm Payroll Unemployment Report. Yeah, I've been reading about uh, this. Perhaps you can tell us what the non-farm payroll means, please. Well, simply it's the most important gauge of employment, excluding for some inexplicable reason those that work on farms uh, that occurs each month. It's a calculation of jobs uh, that has been added or removed over the past month from the U.S. economy. The, The belief is that from this one reading, the health of the nation can be garnered. Uh, If jobs are expanding, the increase is an indication that the biggest, most powerful economy in the world is growing, and it follows that this normally bodes well for markets around the globe. Now, we've been hearing uh, bad news about the economy uh, pretty much in every market update we've done, so I'm going to assume that the, uh, the figure shows high levels of unemployment still. Uh-huh. Well, uh, uh, hold your horses for a second on that, uh, Ian. The publication of the jobs report, as with most data, is kept secret and revealed to everyone but a very select few at the same time. Ahead of this, again, uh, as with all data, the figure is uh, predicted by the world's financial analysts in the days and weeks ahead of its publication. Why do they do this, I hear you asking? The answer is that if correct correctly forecast, one effectively steals a march on the actual announcement, thereby gaining a head start on one of the single biggest drivers of world stock markets. So some of the finest minds in the world, uh, the finest economists are looking at these forecasts and uh, there must be a lot of money to be made out of getting the forecast right and presumably they paid a lot of money for doing it. Uh, You assume correctly, yeah. And did they get it right last week? Not even close. In fact, even by their own generally abysmal standards, historically speaking, this was appalling. Um, the you know, the expect- expectation of the combined wisdom of Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and a whole host of other venerable institutions was that they would see uh, for the month of May an increase in unemployment of 8 million people. However, the figure actually ended up showing an increase in employment of 2.5 million. Forecasts were therefore out by around about 10 million people, or put another way, by the population of Sweden. If we're to say that the full-time working population of the US after three months of huge layoffs is around 110 million people, you can see what an awful miscalculation this was. Nevertheless, unemployment is still very high in the States, and uh, you've quoted him before, the famous uh, Danish physicist Niels Bohr, who allegedly said uh, predictions are very difficult, especially about the future. So perhaps it's not surprising they got it wrong. 
Well, that's, you know, that's, that's very generous of you, Ian, actually. But uh, I can think, uh, even if we dug up old Neils, um, he'd have made a better fist of it than these lots. However, I can concede that last Friday's monumental miscalculation may well be more explainable when viewed through the lens of what social psychologists call crowd theory, uh, a weakness that pretty much all humans, including highly educated and handsomely resourced economists, almost always exhibit that is a predilection to, to succumb to the hypnotic influence of the crowd especially when careers and reputations are at stake i might not agree with but i can understand the pressure when let's say 99 analysts all come out with a similar answer to the may unemployment forecast you as the hundredth are very unlikely to deviate greatly from the crowd's combined wisdom so to speak we just don't want to stand out too far from the crowd yeah, I can see that too, but you're effectively saying that uh, these economists might as well use a crystal ball. Well, uh, and in some sense, that's exactly the point. Technology is quickly usurping the role of the traditional analyst in aiding the investment process, often because of factors such as groupthink within financial analysis. Many uh, financial analysts like to think of themselves as being mavericks, uh, but very rarely they turn out uh, to be so, as most of the financial models they use hardly differ from one another. Right, so give us some examples about how technology is uh, overtaking this in the field of economic analysis. Um, well, for instance, uh, from the moment we started carrying with us smartphones, we provided a recording of our own behavior, um, where we've been, what we've spent, on what and for how long our car GPS navigation, for example, tells us the speed of the traffic jam in front of us. Uh, 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 this is all garnered from a sort of multitude of individual phone signal transmissions from uh, others around us on the road. Yeah, so I can see this kind of alternative data um, also speeds up the delivery. They get it straight away, effectively, to people interested in the markets. Yeah, that's, a, that's another huge advantage, Ian. Um, one of the other significant drawbacks, uh, actually, of almost all economic data, that it's traditionally been a rear-view mirror of the economy. What do I mean by that? Well, um, we've uh, just seen this morning that UK GDP fell by over 20%. These are the most recent figures we have, uh, but they're for April, and today is June the 12th. In effect, it's a historical document, albeit a recent historical document, and says nothing in regard to what's happening right now. Now contrast that with data derived from various sources resulting from actions performed today, which can be in the hands of hedge fund managers hours later. You book a table um, for dinner this evening online or through an app, um, that information is delivered collated and sold on to those willing to pay before you've even sat down for your starter. On its own, it doesn't inform that much, but aggregated with other bookings, it reflects confidence within consumers to spend. And to a degree, then, this removes the groupthink theory you were talking about before. Well, look, um, you know, data scientists will always need to interpret all data to some extent. So I would say it lessens bias, but it doesn't remove it altogether. It certainly helps make um, the information more complete, shall we say, in that it all but removes the difference between what people say they've done and what they actually do. A bit like uh, a poll when before people go in to vote, they say what they're going to vote, but then the exit poll says what they've really done. 
Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a nice analogy. And unemployment surveys, for example, um, are often uh, inaccurate, as some people, you know, unsurprisingly, won't want to openly reveal what's happened to them. Likewise, room, uh, room bookings at hotels, something that's actually very closely looked at as a measure of confidence returning to the economy, shows this well. Left to the honesty of individuals booking the room, it's very unlikely that all reservations would be recorded, whereas the electronic point of sale has no such qualms. So presumably this kind of um, economic information is being used to monitor how lockdown is going and what's happening. Um, yeah, I mean, a- as we unlock, we can see requests for directions on Waze and Apple Maps showing how quickly driving patterns are returning to normal or not only the increase in numbers of oil tankers at sea, but how low in the water they're sitting, indicating how full they are. Data in this final respect really is the new oil, and financial world looking uh, for an edge in terms of speed and accuracy is willing to pay huge sums for it. Yeah, very interesting insight into how technology is um, affecting investments. Now, uh, in the time remaining, you want to talk about what's happening in the market, I believe. Yeah, uh, always good uh, on a, on a market's up to get a little something in about the uh, markets. And my word, it's all been going totally nuts out there since we last spoke in. Uh, Monday in the United States uh, was quite a poignant day in that the National Bureau of Economic Research declared that the U.S. entered a recession in February of this year. No huge surprise, you might think, but what followed on the same day might be. The S&P 500, uh, we've mentioned it before in the index representing the five biggest companies in America after falling 35% from its high just 11 weeks ago erased all its losses for the year while the tech heavy Nasdaq index went one better and hit an all-time high on Tuesday and now stands up yes up 6% on the year and that's despite the market falling 5% yesterday. So bizarrely, investors might start wishing for a little COVID outbreak every year at this rate. <laughs> yes. Um, it, I mean, it appears good for the stock market business, doesn't it? Um, you know, the, the, the main share index in South Korea, the Kospi, uh, rose for the ninth consecutive day on Wednesday. Prong moves of that nature very rarely happen in markets. Some tentatively say that as we speak, we might well be out of recession for now. Apple hasn't got a real-time GDP tracking app, but I still think that's far too optimistic given the induced coma that most Western governments have put their economies in. This, to me at least, is clearly the result of trillions of dollars that we've been discussing over the past weeks in being added by central banks into the economy and now worryingly is clearly feeding through into asset prices. Do you have any evidence for that last point, Lee? Well, you know, firms are now being backed by investors, both large and small, awash with cash and desperate for returns. Companies don't even need to show revenues now, let alone profits, in order to be worth billions. Last week, for example, saw the stock market debut in the U.S. of uh, electric truck maker called Nikola. It has no factories and will have no revenues in 2020. To this date, it's not sold a single vehicle. But as we speak in, Nikola has the same market value as Ford, which this year is forecast to have $115 billion in revenues. 
Well, that sounds bonkers to me, and, and you're clearly concerned about it. You know, it's, it's the, the magnitude and the speed of the moves in here that concerns me. Something isn't quite right. Since the low in the markets was set on March 23rd, $21 trillion has been added to the value of stocks globally. Just to give you a sense how much $1 trillion is, if someone wants to spend $1 million every day since the birth of Christ, you would not have spent a trillion dollars by today. In fact, you could continue to spend one million dollars a day every day for the next 780 years before the money ran out. I repeat, global stocks have added 21 trillion dollars in value in 11 weeks. I'm just going to say that again, 21 trillion dollars in 11 weeks. Well, on those massive figures, Lee, I'm going to say thank you very much. Take care. Cheers, Ian. Ian Pritchard and Lee Humphreys brought you City Update on Brooklyn's Radio.